no right um, <laughs> my wife was horse riding down in uh, Kinsale and her horse trainer needs two tickets urgently so <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. uh, I need two tickets lads whatever you can do now by the next 45 minutes put that in the foremost of your, of your thoughts <laughs> The Hard Yards brought to you by Ladbrokes passionate about sport it's gone to the short side oh it's not gone to the short side it's gone to the trailer I don't think we met before, but I'm the referee on this field, not you. Hi Rob, Zeeb's here. Just want to discuss the captaincy next. He's calling. Oh, and Ring Rose comes through. Oh, that is brilliant from Ring Rose. Ring Rose is going here. What a score! Hello and welcome to episode 26 of The Hard Yards, the rugby podcast from Sports Joe. I'm Andy McGeady. I'm joined by Kev McLaughlin and Pat McCarry in studio. Rona Garra is on the line from Paris and John Muldoon, Connacht captain, is in Galway. We have a big interview with Exeter's Gareth Steenson coming up for you. But first, Mr Muldoon, welcome to The Hard Yards. Good morning. How are things? Things are not too bad. How is Galway on an All-Ireland final week? Yeah, it's starting to, the buzz is starting to come around going out and the rush for tickets is truly on. Um, generally, obviously, everyone always says, oh, wait till mid-end of the week and the tickets will start arriving back and, and uh, the flurry for tickets won't be too bad. But at the moment, there ain't too many tickets floating around. So um, a lot of people looking getting nervous. Too, and, 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 <laughs> are you in this final, are they, Rog? No, right. Um, <laughs> My wife was horse riding down in uh, Kinsale and her horse trainer needs two tickets urgently. So, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah. I need two tickets, lads. Whatever you can do now by the next 45 minutes, put that in the foremost of your, of your thoughts. <laughs> Join the back of the queue, Rog. Join yeah, the back yeah. of the queue. So. Yeah, I'd be very popular in Connacht, all right? I said it'd go well yeah. over the way. Bundy and a few of the lads never seen a hurling match in their life, but they're all mad to go to the... Uh, to the finals of the air so it's always the same every Mayo man is trying to get a ticket to stop for the goal man. so it's getting uh, it's getting a bit the man is on here yeah 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 yeah, yeah. it's uh, a good point are you going to be able to go yourself John? yeah thankfully um, I was actually in with the minors the other morning um, and uh, they gave me two tickets for the game which is brilliant so I didn't have to worry too much about trying to find two but yeah I was in chatting to them for a little while um, bringing back good memories of beating Cork in 2000 <laughs> get that season there quickly um, so yeah when, uh, bringing back good memories for me when I was a minor so yeah look it's uh, it's very exciting for them uh, the young fellows uh, all about to embark on college life so we spoke a bit about that and just spoke about um, some of the excitement building up to are it they, are they over. in the final as well John are they are the minors yeah, in the final double, yeah it's a double header um, so they're in the final as well so they, they did well to get to a final um, they are quite a young squad and, and they scored in I think the 64th minute to, to win the game a couple of weeks ago so um, Joel actually Joel Cannon's nephew is on it as well he plays uh, full forward a corner forward so Jeez, everyone everyone in Galway should do the lotto this weekend they have a great chance of winning <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to happen uh, again if we could win in bloody All Ireland, we, we we'd uh, give up the lot. So um, yeah, look, it's um, it's good excitement around the place. In fairness, so um, hopefully, look, it'll be great to win it. Obviously, we haven't been waiting as long as Waterford, but um, I think two teams have been waiting a long time. It'd be great to see someone new get their hands in the trophy. But obviously, I'm biased. I want to see Galway do it. So why aren't you playing in the All Ireland hurling final? Why are you speaking as a rugby man? because uh, I was too slow and fast to play uh, hurling basically um, all I did was take the head off lads when I was young so that worked to a certain point and then you had to give it up but nah look it was I enjoyed playing hurling all my mates um, played hurling and it was uh, I suppose I was part of a team that was quite successful in Pertumna and obviously they went on to win a lot of Club All Ireland and a lot of them went on to represent Galway so I had good fun when I was a kid playing hurling growing up and to be honest that was my first love um I didn't grow up thinking about being a rugby player. I grew up thinking about being Joe Cooney and playing beside Joe Cooney. And he was my hero growing up. But um, rugby only kind of came late into my life, so um, it changed once it did. But uh, when I was out the back garden lifting trophies, it was always um, uh, Sam McGuire or Lee McCarthy Cup. I was lifting up to so never um, a rugby World Cup or whatever else you think of. 
Sonia, you've matched yourself to prepare for with Connacht this weekend. How's uh, how's the prep for Glasgow looking? Yeah, look, I think it's it's um, this time of year. Uh, Raj and Kevin tell you there as well that everyone thinks they're in great shape. Everyone thinks it's the hardest preseason they've done, and it's um, they're um, excited for the season to start, and they think that it's they're going to be their their year and excitement of building and um, et cetera, et cetera. I think we're no different. Obviously, we have a new coaching, things are very different. Um, a new voice, backroom staff, everything's all changed. So um, a lot of excitement and a lot of anticipation for um, for Saturday to get to get on the on the paddock and, and go out and perform. And I suppose this is the time when everyone um, believes and hopes that it is their year. Um, I think the excitement of having a new coach has added that extra little bit of dimension to us as well and um, as I said some background staff but everyone's on edge for the last couple of weeks and months training and uh, I suppose for a lot of people it's um, wiped the slate clean so um, especially for some of the younger lads they feel that they're they're getting a a good um, opportunity to go out and show their wares so yeah look it's um, it's exciting time ahead we're still really getting to know uh, Kieran and some of the lads so um, it's good but look we're playing Glasgow first game and um, they did a, a bit of a job on us last year um, we all know the troubles we had last season we did one warm up game unfortunately we got let down by a team or two but um, the preparation gone well this year we've had three finalists, um and we've got better each game which is exactly what you want to do and we're just uh, looking forward to Saturday coming now at this stage uh, looking forward to, to playing Glasgow and obviously it's a little kind of a a hidden um, game going on in the background obviously uh, KK and, and uh, Dave Rennie who are very good friends from the Chiefs so um, I was chatting to him yesterday and he, he was very nervous about it uh, he wanted to get one up on his own mate so, um, a little sideline uh, act going on there as well What's the um, what's the biggest difference so far that you've noticed uh, Pat Lamb World of Connacht to KK World Yeah I think obviously um we can't forget the path brought as a, a trophy and um, I suppose put a lot of structure and put a lot of um, belief in the squad and um, we'll never forget that and um, I suppose his he, um, his way of looking at things shaped and changed a lot of what um, we'd like to see what, where we're going in the future and um, that'll never be f- uh, forgotten from what Pat's done but so KK has come in and tried to um, develop that and try and move it on um, they, obviously they're, they're two very very different people and they're going to um, have different outlooks on how to play the game and different ways of um, I suppose skinning the cat so it's just a matter of uh, getting used to him and getting used to his way of doing things and get, um, get up to scratch as quickly as possible obviously he's coming from um, quite a successful team in the Chiefs and um, he's had some some very good success as a coach over the last 20 years so uh, he's got the pedigree to do and it's just up to us now to, to go out and get his game plan and try and um, try and get that to the best of our ability as quickly as possible remember he's only here about three three and a half weeks so it's um, it's still a learning curve for us um, it's still getting used to um, him and the way he delivers stuff and everything that goes with that but yeah look so far it's been it's been very good um, been a bit of breath of fresh air and the lads will tell you when new coaches come in um, there's that little bit of excitement and it takes takes time to get to know it and as I said earlier it's um, a real big thing it just it gives everyone that fresh fresh start and a fresh approach to things and everyone feels that they're on the, the same level playing field and that's always a good thing for the squad and the environment in the squad and the, I suppose the, the mentality going forward yeah, change for me. A change of coach is a real positive thing. Um, you know, it takes the the settled players, the guys who are settled in the jerseys, out of their comfort zone. And like John was saying there, the guys who maybe have been struggling under Pat for the last few years, they're suddenly thinking, right, here I go, clean sheet, new coach, day one. There's a real buzz in the training session, and you know, it was really my the biggest biggest change in coach for me was when we went from in Lancer from Michael Chaka to Joe Schmidt and. I remember even the first six months with Joe it was so different everyone was everyone was adapting everyone was learning and everyone was kind of at the same stage with him and and change is good um, in a club and I think for Connacht now you know huge amount of success John for you guys like obviously winning the trophy winning the, with the Pro 12 a couple of years ago and it just seems now is a natural time and I know obviously it didn't 
you know, it wasn't planned that, that Pat was going to go to Bristol, but it seems like you've done very well getting KK in. Uh, he seems like a great coach, and, and hopefully it'll have the same impact as Joe did in Leinster, coming in, changing things, bringing new ideas, and allowing some of the, some of the young talent and Connor to come through and, and really um, uh, thrive underneath them, yeah. I'll bring Raj in there. Raj, what was it like for you when you got a new coach in? Um... Jeez, I didn't have too many, I don't think, did I? No, not, not, you didn't have too um, many changes, no. Declan Kidney was there for too many years, that was yeah. the problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was one consistent team, <laughs> that's, that's for certain. Um, that was school for 20 years, from the age of 14 to 34. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, no, it's... it's um, it's it's kind of I t- I agree with the lads. It, it, I think it's very strange in the fact that everything is about the team yet everything is about yourself because sport is so selfish that you just kind of concentrate on uh, you trying to be the best you can be and then hopefully that adds to the team. So players are incredibly selfish. They need to be thinking like that. So like my goals would be completely different to what John wants to get out of his season or what Kevin. The collective would be the same, but my skill set I have to work on things that wouldn't be any way uh, similar to what they what they have so uh, there was when they came in it was obviously um, I think you just kind of knew straight away uh, whether they were going to work or not and um, but I think from the year I played in the generation I think it was, especially amongst so much of it was player driven and irrespective of whether you agree with the coach or not you back the coach and then uh, you made a plan and went out and tried and performed the plan but um, I think um, all the really great environments are player driven I, I completely agree that the role, the role of the coach is huge the big thing for me I'm, I'm fascinated to ask John are, are you still playing 2 4 2 John uh, no we won't be so I just no um, yeah, yeah. it's going to change up yeah yeah. it's going to change yeah. up obviously if you watch the Chiefs and what they do um, will be yeah. um, it'll be sim- something similar to what they do uh, not exactly the same but um, very obviously Karen was the attack coach down there so so he um, was the one three three one. there are the Chiefs start are they they yeah and very similar to that yeah, yeah. so yeah, okay. it's not exactly that it's yeah, there's um, different obviously variations and everything, um, ways of doing things. So, um, now the two four two system, um, it's still it's still there, but it's not. Um, yeah, it's in the back pocket. The word, yeah, I would I would say the word we'd be using is we're not heavily reliant on the two four two system. So that'll be uh, sorry to be room that, for that change. little date that you have yeah. going on there. We might explain to everyone what the two four two is. I thought you were talking about soccer formations for a second there. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, well, John, you go away. You're you're an expert in it. Kev, you should yeah, remember like, it from the from the Murrayfield massacre. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. I blocked that out of my mind a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, so basically, it's obviously the, the the four, the tight five in the middle, um, and then you, you're more you're more athletic. Um, the more athletic second row with a back row. Um, on the edge and then you've obviously two back rows on the other edge and the idea is obviously the, the, the second row the distributing second row in the middle so you're going to carry your pass and go out the back so and then you obviously try and get lots of width in your uh, on your game but it is like as well the the way to defend that which a lot of teams had figured out last year is just make sure you've got big line speed and that's all the edges come up on the outside so there's certain there's certainly um, still time for or and place to do that, but um, I suppose last year a lot of teams figured out that that's what we we're doing and um, send it as appropriately. But um, there's still times where we will be doing that. Um, but um, there's obviously a lot of new stuff brought in as well, and um, that's basically the, the concept of the two four two. That's what we were doing for the last couple yeah. of years. And Rod said it, it worked quite well for us, but like everything else, analysis comes along and people figured out pretty quickly you also lost the key ball carrier in Muldoni don't you I think that role is it's the same as uh, Ritalik does I think yeah when yeah. you have the capacity to take it to the line and play it at the last minute very very few second rows are as good as those two in the world and I think that really makes that 2-4-2 two, two. Yeah, and, 
I watched Ali doing it a couple of times last year for for Grenoble, mm-hmm. um, and he was good at it there as well. So yeah, look, it's um, it's certainly a, a skill that you you master, and, and some second is obviously very skilled. And I'm sure Ali's um, Ali's basketball uh, in his early days, Ali was a pretty good basketballer, and that probably helped him skill wise with the ball. And yeah, look, it's um, obviously when you've got Bundy and Robbie Henshaw and a few other lads outside him, then when you're making room for those lads, it works extremely well for us. Yeah, yeah. no, but as you say, it's the little detail because your man. If they turn their hips toward the opposition goal lengths or all the defenders drift off them and as you know the yeah. tiny margins at the level because he was able to I think to attract defenders and then release at the right time, which is why it works. But it was uh, yeah, it's really interesting as an outsider to watch it. Yeah, yeah. The uh, John very quickly, be- <laughs> very quickly before we let you go, John. The um, the South African angle to this year's tournament. Um, are you looking forward to the travelling or is it disruptive? No, I think it's a, it's a good thing for the competition. Obviously, um, having having a trip to South Africa, having two new teams coming in, um, adds that bit of excitement and um, some that feel of something new. I think uh, competitions and um, structures and leagues like that, when when something new comes in. Um, as long as it doesn't disrupt too much um, and obviously there, there is a little bit of a new format and we take a little bit of time um, to see how that goes but I think it's it's definitely exciting and, and you see articles yesterday and the day before saying that there there could be um, one or two more teams coming in I think the, the, the big thing is to make sure the quality of the, uh, the players and the quality of the opposition coming in adds to the league and once that happens then it's a plus for everything um, and certainly by the looks of things uh, the two South African teams um, will be pretty strong and um, it'll probably take them a while to get used to um, playing in our conditions and um, very different to what they're used to but uh, some of the, the fat lads aren't looking forward to going down to um, to uh, the um, high altitude so that'll be interesting for some of them come uh, midwinter how that will go John can so, I ask uh, you that'll, sure, that'll surely test them can I ask you quickly um, how some of the new lads are looking? Is is Deegan there yet? Is he playing with you yet? No, he hasn't arrived yet. Um, he's still waiting on his uh, visa. Uh, Jared Butler is here. Um, and he actually played the last couple of games of warm-ups and he looks uh, very, very good. Um, he played in the Bristol game and Munster game and the Wasp game, actually. So he played in all three. Um, he looks very good, very sharp. Obviously, he's coming from and the Super 15 team are season with the Brumby so he's probably a little bit ahead of the rest of us but he, he looks very good and there's a couple of other lads have arrived as well Gav Thornby is here obviously after having a stint in New Zealand playing club rugby and, and a few other lads but yeah I think there's uh, still one or two more to arrive yet so um, yeah look it's I think recruitment and all that kind of stuff is ongoing so people will keep coming as the year goes on and uh, keep hopefully adding to the squad and listen John we'll let you go uh, thanks very much yep, for no taking problem. the call and uh, best of luck for the season yep cheers all the best yeah, John. Yeah. right so that's John Muldoon uh, kind of captain you know to say co- coaches come and go but John Muldoon is always there <laughs> um, lads is uh, Kev is John someone you'd like to see as your captain you know what I mean he's Connacht born and bred is that what a captain should be yeah, I think it's it's definitely one of the elements is that someone is very committed to the club, someone who's been around a long time and someone who's connector, in my case, would have been Leinster through and through. I think, you know, guys like Geno and Leo would have been like that. They would have been I know they spent a couple of years across in Leinster, but they were Leinster born and bred and they, they knew what it meant to be part of Leinster. I think that's important. Um but, you know, like there are a lot of for for me, like there's no specific technique or uh, to being a captain there's no specific trait you look in a person I think for me and Roger will probably back me up in this like the best captains just have something about them they have a bit of an aura and people lads just want to follow them they want to get in behind them they want to play for them um, and what I mean by that is like say two of the captains I would have played under that I really enjoyed uh, playing for were, were Geno and Leo and they're both very very different in how they captained and Ex- Leo, explain that well, Leo would have barely opened his mouth during a game um, and he, his whole thing was he had an aura um, he would have led by example he would have empowered others to lead but everyone always played, loved playing for him Geno would barely shut up start to finish <laughs> yeah I'm going to to that he would scream him. start to finish and I, I loved playing for him as well mm. 
and what I'm trying to say is, is no, it's not uh, uh, you know the best captain screaming out in the huddle and get the lads fired up. The best captains have something about them where lads want to play for them, okay. and uh, you either have for me, you either have it or you don't. <laughs> hmm. It's not something. It's not where you can bring someone in and say, right, I'm going to teach this guy how to be a captain. Yeah. Um, and I'd imagine, like I haven't played uh, for more, but I imagine he has that in Connacht, where everyone knows he's Connacht born bred. He has been played more games for the club than anyone else has before, um, and he always puts you know the club's best interest at heart, and, and always has. And some someone that the lads want to get in behind, he always plays mm. at a certain level, you know. So, Raj, what do you look for in a captain? Yeah, I think just to Kevin's point, I think a good captain just fits in seamlessly. You don't take much notice of, of what is going on but it immediately hits you when a coach is named the wrong captain <laughs> if you can understand me because it's just you're kind of just saying this guy can't talk please stop talking and that's <laughs> happened once or twice where you just don't want that when you're preparing for a game or in the week of the game um, but is that something you I notice think, is um, that something you notice instantly Raj? yeah instantly but the reality is I think in the time I played professional rugby and I think it's a massive strength of Irish rugby the leaders we produce um, in this country it's, it's it's incredible I think um, you know I go back to Mick Galway and Munster for me was as Kev said he just had an aura had a presence even a smile you could just detect what, what, what was needed without even saying much or he might just cut the coach at a certain point or other times he might just um, he just knew he always had the I suppose the tempo of the group in mind um, and then you had Keith Wood you had Brian Driscoll you had Paul O'Connor so um, you're talking about world class leaders there never mind leaders for, for Ireland I think they were they were special leaders as opposed to special players Compare Paulie's leadership style to Brian's completely incomparable personality incomparable completely different um, Brian plays 13 I think obviously Paul is in the engine room I think rugby union it's suited if you have a fellow of the capabilities character of um, Paul O'Connell that the captain is in the pack I think they're just closer to the action they're closer to the ref they have a better relationship with the ref Um because they can get the the feel of the game better, I think. Um, but um, you know, it was it, Brian was um, led by example, led by his performances. That's what he what he um, prided himself in. Then when he had a few rough patches throughout his career, when his form dipped, uh, you know, I mean, he questioned himself whether he was the right man to do the job. And I think. Um, he was the right man but he needed to I suppose alter his lifestyle he did that he got the best out of himself and he reinvented himself and you have to I think remember um, in Captain Ireland I don't have the official stats would it be 60 70 times not more probably so for you know that's a lot of uh, captain's meetings yeah. and <clears throat> it's a lot of um, presentation to your players and a lot of trying to get the best out of your players so I think people under appreciate the amount of extra work that goes into captaincy as well it's it's a difficult job if you're to do it to the best of of, of your ability and um, I just think that um, Paul put everything into his preparation that was what he um, got confidence on preparing his team preparing himself being I suppose first in the room um, last out of the gym last off the pitch and uh, he spoke very well so the two of them were, were very different yes in in the world of rugby very similar but the most important thing is that their teams enjoyed I think spectacular success when they were when they were both leaders yeah, what you were saying there Roger spot on Like people underestimate how hard being captain is um, only did it a few times for Leinster and you like, were named captain the season you retired yeah so it was during the World Cup period a lot of the senior guys away so Leo asked me to step up uh, for that period anyway and you know it, <laughs> there's, there's so much more to consider usual, Kev is under, like, under uh, estimate no, that's a massive honour you know especially in that Leinster yeah, it was an honour. Um, they were coming. Yeah, massive honour. But, but particularly based off the captains that that had gone before me, and like 
like you said, Roger, like I think people do underestimate how hard it is, and like there's so much yeah. more to consider when you're captain. You have to begin oh, yeah. thinking about like how to train and go. Are we at the right level here? Are we too confident, or maybe we're too relaxed? Are we too wound up in the lead up to a big game? Do we need to calm the lads down a bit? You know, is the energy and confidence there? Like, captain is the best person to figure that out, and the coach will rely on them to figure that out. Like Leo, and I think I think at at, at the level the game of rugby is played in Ireland, it's it's hard enough to get your own role right yeah. with the competition a player opposite you. Never mind getting your role right and the captain's role. It's you're kind of trying to do two jobs on the go, yeah. which is extremely difficult because you're the clearest thing or the nearest thing to the management as well because you have to have that link because the senior players in all organisations are hugely important and it's usually senior players and the captain that have to relay the message to to the management so as you say your your work is never ending basically and it just plays more on your mind when you are the captain it's a hard line because you have to you have to play well like there's nothing worse than like at the end of the day if you're not playing well you can't be you can't be bowling lads out of it for making mistakes if you're not doing it yourself so you have to get that line between selfishness and selflessness because you have to be selfless to put the team first but then you have to be selfish in your own preparation it's incredibly challenging <laughs> there's also distractions I used to find even just like I had a very very set preparation for a game and having to go and do the toss in the lead up to my prep I, I found that distracting when's the referee going to come oh fuck not this ref I hate yeah, chatting to yeah. this guy well, whoever um, having to chat to the ref during the game is distracting again it can take you out of your out of your role like it's all these different things you have to mentally prepare yourself for Um and like Roger's saying like no one has an idea I agree because I was captain a few times and then like if you're trying to be a captain and a goal kicker you may as well forget about it because you're kind of <laughs> having all boot or two at the post then you get called uh, we'll do the toss okay run in back out and then there's some issue with um, uh, new rules with the front row or he wants the captain inside you know it's just like that's why I think people on the outside you ask about a 10 a 10 has enough on its place as it is trying to run the game from an attack point of view from a strategy point of view and then without the captaincy it's it's those little distractions that I think teams can do without there are better people on the team I think that uh, can make those decisions around the coin toss around um, getting the dressing room right if you are the kicker because for the kicker you have to it's the only guy in the team who was practicing that skill for an hour before the game because essentially there's him and the reserve kicker who need to kick the ball over the bar everyone else is concentrating on collisions and and um, their own um, skill set before the game so Raj is the captain is the captain the same role in France? Um, in what just because in, in what regard sorry well it's just there's a lot of things that are slightly different in French rugby you yeah know, there are a lot of, well there's a lot more games too obviously I think in the fact that you know you can have in the league alone you know I mean it takes 29 games to win it if, you, if you're going through the league or the qualifying of the, of the um, playoffs you know so that's a lot of that's a lot of league games then there's European games and then there's French international games so um, no I think um, it's an interesting question um, sometimes you have squad captains sometimes you have a captain for the season but like, there's far more rotation over here so um, but it's it's um, um, it's I don't know I don't know Andy really I think um, it's just I think it's way um, more tighter in Irish rugby the role of the captaincy and what's expected of the captain isn't the best thing a bit strange that he's been made Ulster captain for the season as well like and, and the fact that he'd be Ireland captain I, thought, only... I was thinking the exact same thing um, Pat I said um, what's in the tea leaves seems lads? like a big workload yeah um, or else I was thinking I think John O'Gibbs going in as Ulster I think in Ulster I think he would readily identify with the qualities of Rory Best I think he wants to put a stamp on it um, I'd say maybe he, Rory Best may be the Irish captain probably will be the Irish captain um, but I think uh, John O'Gibbs wants Rory Best um, 
um, emphasising all his qualities in, in, in the leader of his pack but Kevin will be better positioned to comment on that maybe than I am but I, I think uh, Rory's hard and he's honest and he's direct and he's everything you want in a captain I think that guy has, has serious qualities as a leader as well I think it's the right thing to do Ulster need to put Ulster first they need a big season mm. um, Bestie's the man but, but, but that decision is, could not have been made in isolation yeah but, potentially not but like there's no one else kind of jumping out at you to be captain up there right now and they need to have a big season and and like Rod said um, John is coming in and he has an idea of probably making this he wants to make this the toughest pack in Ireland yeah and uh, Bestie's the man to lead that he's like Ulster's toughest forward so mm-hmm. it makes sense you know yeah, and too. you think Andy it wasn't discussed with um, with Joe Schmidt do you reckon? no I'm the, I'm the opposite I'd say you don't make a decision like that without discussing it with Joe because it's it's a lot of extra workload I mean we've actually we've talked mm. just in the last 10 minutes but the extra the mental effort the extra just stuff you have to do and think about as a captain and when you're doubling up like that's a lot so you, you just it would make you wonder if you were of suspicious mind which I am <laughs> um, anyway, Rod, look. Uh, well, who's, the, who's the Irish captain? That's what I mean. It'd be a lot for him. Well, like, yeah, I, I still keep thinking about Peter O'Mahony, but maybe that's just me getting ahead of myself. But it'd be an awful lot on best, wouldn't it, to kind of have those two two things to do? And he'd only going to feature maybe fourteen, fifteen games. I don't think. Oh, I, I don't. I think. I think the man of he his can do experience. It. I think they're going to manage his workload. I think. Yeah. Um, I think he's. I would say it's um, far more likely probably him than uh, to make I think um, an Irish captain in the back row at this current stage would be a big, a bigger call I would feel with the, co- yeah, with the competition for places there yeah yeah yeah, you actually, well, you really can't guarantee anyone a spot in that back row can you at the moment no you can't ok we'll see, we'll see how this turns out right could be just us looking for a story if there's no story Pat what do you reckon I've often been, I've been guilty of that in the past. Miss all the story from anywhere. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Here, listen. Your your season started last weekend, Rod. You uh, that was looking a bit squeaky in the first half. You were eighteen three down against Castro. Uh, listen, looking a lot worse than a little bit more squeaky. Believe me, I think uh, when you kind of come into coaching management, um, you see it so differently. So. As John was saying about um, you know everyone thinks in pre-season they're the fittest, fastest, strongest they've ever been, and they're hitting great scores, and there's a great buzz in the club. And then first game, the only game that matters, pre-season game, don't matter just as long as everyone understands that. So you're judged on your competitive games. So um, after 40 minutes, I think you're you're 18. Uh, after 36 minutes, you're 18, three down uh, at home. It's not how you'd like to start the season. <laughs> that's the that's the best way I can put it to you. Um, but um, thankfully, we uh, conceded three points in the second half. We we got our act together and we um, played well for thirty five minutes and uh, got a result. You know, um, so first coach think, to ever uh, uh, start. First coach to ever start Dan Cotter at twelve rather than ten. Are you? Um, no, he started there a few times, Kev. Uh, I suppose it's like, if, as we say over here, we're, we're giving a, a carrot to Remy Tallis, you know, <laughs> Remy give him a carrot so he can. <laughs> so um, that was essentially the thinking there because Dan is, he's not an ideal 12, but he's still capable of doing a very good job there, but essentially he's the best in the world at 10. Um, so that. Um, was a decision taken at half time to change the halfbacks a guy who wouldn't be familiar to, to people in Irish rugby maybe uh, people who watch it close uh, Teddy Eberin uh, uh, the ex-Breeze scrum half um, a very lightweight player but an exceptional um, rugby player he, he came on and had a, had a huge 40 minutes and uh Essentially, put massive intensity and injected pace into our game, and um, we got a we got a result. Which, uh, as everyone knows, if you can kind of get momentum in the first three games of the season, your your season is really set up from there. As opposed to 
uh, losing the first game it sounds very odd but you're 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 chasing the game or the season even if it's a 28 um, or 26 game season so um Moving on to something a little further on in the season, so the TV coverage of the Six Nations has moved something from a more a more uh, more interesting. I don't know what we really want to say. In the <laughs> well, we'll see. We'll see. You're going to be well, on you our screen. Your You're going to be you know, on our you're gonna be, You can go and watch the Grand Dragons and uh, Bennett and Treviso and talk up a good game about those teams. Okay. Here, get Jackman on line one there, Pat, will you? <laughs> the, um, but you're, you're going to be on TV3 for the Six Nations. For the, yes, for the, in 2018, yeah, for the Six Nations uh, competition, yeah. We'll be on um, TV3, yeah. Unfortunately, it's gone from RT and it's gone to TV3, so hugely excited now to be joining um, some quality analysts in, uh, in TV3 to... Um, to have the opportunity as I said if you can't play for and the next best thing is watching and play and kind of once you go into the studio you get that kind of um, buzz that you're nearly playing the game so I love rugby I'd be watching it anyway so um, there are games obviously racing at the same time so um, I'd be able to make a few of the games and uh, a few of the other non-Irish games as well because it's um, important that I can add value hopefully from a French point of view as well but we're not allowed to call you a pundit is that right? Um, Andy you can call me whatever you want <laughs> <laughs> right we'll leave that one there um, the boys will be back later answering your Twitter questions but up next we'll talk to the Irishman that kicked Exeter to the Premiership title last season The Hard Yards brought to you by Ladbrokes passionate about sport Welcome back to the Hard Yards. Exeter won the Premiership last season and a key man for them in their journey from Championship obscurity has been fly half, Ulsterman, Gareth Seenson. Gareth, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. Good morning. How are you doing? Hey. Pretty, pretty good. So anyway, um, Premiership champions. Is that still feeling good? Yeah, it is. Yeah, absolutely. I suppose um, it's been a couple of months now and we've obviously got ourselves through pre-season and all that and uh, after any pre-season everyone says the same thing it's always tough but I think now that we're uh, on the other side of it it's it's finally sunk in who we are and uh, it's really teed us up nicely going into the season the, um, you've been you've been around there for a while at Exeter it's not many players win a championship and then get promoted and then win the premiership with the same team yeah no I think uh, I didn't really realise that until I was asked I was asked that uh, about a month ago, a month month ago, and uh, it was a bit like, oh yeah, <laughs> I didn't even think of it like that. It was just seemed to be the natural progression what the club was doing, and uh, you know, it's a it's a nice feeling to obviously get promoted with the club first and foremost, and now to see the progression that we've made, and now to get ourselves into a position where we could challenge to actually win the Premiership, and obviously then to come away and win it. It's it's a great it's a great uh, place to be, but now it's. It's another challenge again for us now. It's something completely brand new, which is very exciting, and we've always talked about as a club uh, progressing. And again, it's another chance now because everyone's going to be looking to come after us. Yeah, how do you think that's going to change it? Because you know, Exeter has always been viewed as a, a small club, you know, with the greatest of respect. Something that you said you've been building towards, but now people are going to be gunning for you. Do you have to prepare differently for that, like mentally for that? I think that's the biggest challenge. I think for all of us, you know, how how to go and back it up again. We don't really want to be a team that sort of won win it one year and then sort of fitter away. You know, we kind of want to. It's almost like last season. Whenever we started the year, we didn't really start that well. We were still sort of patting ourselves in the back after making the final, and it took us the guts of two months really to realise that hang on, we could lose a season here if we don't really get our heads together. And thankfully. You know, around October time we sort of did and um, we didn't really look back from there and again it's about starting well again this this season um, we've got a tough fixture when we head away to, to Gloucester but it, it sort of sharpens the mind a little bit because it is a local derby for us and it's always a big game and um, hopefully we can get off to a better start than we did last year Steeno Kev here um, pretty amazing story Exeter really and when you look at what's happened there over the last few years I remember we played against you in 2015 and 
in the in the Champions Cup. Every game was unbelievably hard, and we just knew when we were coming up to play against Exeter, it was going to be the tough, like one of the toughest games of the season. And there just seemed to be something about you lads. And like when you look at your success and where you come from, what Andy's saying from the Championship to winning the Premiership last year in a relatively short period of time without doing what the likes of Toulon have done where they bought every player under the sun like it must have been special to be part of firstly but like what what has it been like and you know what I presume there's been a huge focus on culture there and, and trying to build something special from within can you talk us a little bit through that and what it's been like to be part of yeah so when I really sort of joined it was um we we had signed a lot of guys. There was about fifty guys in the squad, all made up of like relatively the best players in the championship at the time. It was all the local sort of teams, and um, we quickly realised after not getting promotion that year that that's something had to change. And that's when Rob Baxter got the job. He got the um, he got um, promoted up from being forward coach into um, the head coach, and he brought in he brought in some good coaches and Ali Hafer and uh, Ricky Pello, but. These are the guys that are still there. You know, we've been there basically since I've been here. Um, Rob's obviously been here basically his whole life. He, he just seems to be part part and parcel of the furniture. But it was just really that sort of. We always had that attitude that a lot of the guys that came in had always been told by other clubs, "You aren't good enough. You aren't." Um, you know, you've been let go by other teams, and we always had a wee bit of a chip on our shoulders. And even whenever we got promoted that year, we weren't meant to be promoted. It was meant to be Bristol. I remember people telling me with ten minutes to go, we're winning by fifteen points, and apparently Bristol are still going to come back and beat us. You know, that was just sort of the way. We always had it. We always had our back up a little bit, and even when we got promoted, we were getting relegated again. It was extra Chiefs. They're going to do nothing. They're going to go down again, and we think we finished eighth that year. So. We've always had that sort of sort of thing, and we've never really went and got a lot of players in at any any time. We've always got about four or five fellows who sort of come in and sort of fit fit the mould. And yeah. like I always laugh, and boys always laugh as well. We always seem to find misfits a little bit, and we <laughs> find a way to make them fit, yeah. which is quite a nice nice way, um, you know. But we, you know, that's down to the coaching staff. They've sort of went out into the market and have looked at guys who they feel will come in add to the culture first and foremost I think a lot of guys that come in they really fit our fit what we're about and they buy into it straight away we don't really look to go and like you say go for the big money guys and sign big superstar names because sometimes they're hard to handle maybe potentially I don't know uh, I've never had to deal with a lot of them because we seem to be getting our superstars from within so but we've got a good academy structure which has come through too um, you know, we're getting Jack Noel coming through that and Henry Slade. We're starting to see guys really push on into international honours. And it is from within the club, whenever, you know, I'm very fortunate to have been here for as long as I have and actually seen the growth of the place. And it is it is a lovely thing to see. And it, hopefully it continues because, you know, we want to keep progressing as a club. Like I said, we've, we've taken a step along the ladder again. We've got ourselves as Premiership champions, but now we want to try and push forward, push the club forward. And the next thing to do that is to head into Europe and be competitive and hopefully push the club forward in that in that light. I'll bring you back just to one point there, Gareth. You mentioned that a lot of the players that end up with Exeter or to sign sign with Exeter are told they're not good enough or they, they have a chip in the shoulder. I mean, was that you at one point? Because, you know, you were an Irish under-21 captain um, and then suddenly you're playing at Rotherham. You're not wearing an Ulster jersey. Yeah, hundred percent. I'm probably as good an example of anything. You know that definitely. You know I can remember being told back home that this isn't going to happen for you, and um, you either need to go find a job or you know give something another try. You know, and I remember sitting down and being told that and being devastated about it, um, and then taking a real leap of faith to go across the roller. I mean, Andre Best was in charge. He'd been chasing me for a couple of years to go to Belfast Harlequins and he gave me a chance to go across the water and it was really the parents sort of said look if if you want to do this you know we'll back you and off you go and I had no idea about English rugby I had no idea about uh, well it was National League rugby at the time and I went over I really enjoyed my time um, got an opportunity to go to Cornish Pirates so I went from one extreme to uh, up north to a completely different extreme down in Penzance and then uh, thankfully you know Chiefs sort of played a couple of good games against Chiefs got picked up there and haven't really looked back from that really and I've had a really good 
good time. I really enjoyed it. And, you know, it's it's something that um, I've never really had a chance to go back to Ireland. I've never really been offered a contract ever to go home. So it's not like it's um, really been an option for me. Steno, going back to something else you said there, talking about playing with a chip in your shoulder and, you know, the ammo that gave you guys. And I remember in Leinster, we had the same thing. It's like the press was against us and everyone had turned on us. And it was very easy for us to, to get the, revved the, up. The press, the, Pat, the press. Yeah, remember that? We were, yeah, Looking yeah. across at one of the yeah. <laughs> It was very easy for us to go for games and very easy for us to get motivated. And the challenge after we won uh, the first European trophy was what do we do now how do we get up for games what's our motivation have you guys had any thoughts or begun to st- speak internally this year about a different approach to, to success this season yeah well it's like you say Kev, we, we've, we're very much in that situation now um, I think everybody that's been asking us is um, how do you feel about being the hunter how you feel about teams coming after you you know we've always had a nice model that we were everyone's second favourite team as such we're not going to have that anymore, um, and you know it's a, it's a like I said at the top of the show, it was like um, it's such a good challenge for us because it's completely brand new and it's something to really get excited about. We've sort of really talked about being the aggressors. Um, how we, you know if you're sort of like at the top of the tree a little bit, you know, or let's be the silverback gorilla and go out and, and be the guys who go out and initiate the fight. Because you know, if you're at the top of the tree, t- people want to come knock you off the perch. But if you keep going after them, you know you might scare them off a bit. Maybe I don't know, but that's the sort of mentality. We're, you know, we, but we want to keep going and enjoying it. We don't want it to be a burden. You know, we don't want it to be. Yes, we were Premiership champions last year. It stifles us. It makes us afraid. You know, that's what our game's built on. Our game's built on going and challenging teams and ultimately enjoying our rugby. And hopefully, we can go out and initiate initiate the fight as such. Uh, Gareth, personally, sort of career-wise, uh, do you reckon you've ever got a, a fair crack with Ireland again after you left the island, as it were? <laughs> uh, honestly, no, I don't think I really have. I've never had, I think I've had one uh, conversation from Les Kiss whenever the British and Irish Lions went away in 2009. I had a quick phone call and um, I think it was a summer tour and I never really felt I've had an opportunity uh, I, I just think it's just the way it is that um, they don't seem to look across the water which is unfortunate because I think now that I'm at a different stage in my career I can sort of say if I'm being honest I think I never really I, I'd like to have just been given a phone call or you know sort of told what was going on or kept in the loop a little bit I've never had any opportunity I've never had an opportunity to go home like I said as well to, to play in Ireland as well so I'm, I'm very aware that you need to be playing back home really to be playing but I, like I said I've never had an opportunity to do that so um, it's a little frustrating but would it change what I've done uh, in an extra club jersey for the sake of a cap here or there probably not No Were England ever in contact? Um, I've had a couple of conversations I've had more conversations with England than I have with Ireland <laughs> but uh, um, no it, it was always just you know you know um, your English qualified now and stuff like that but uh, look, I'm very aware that there's a lot of good English towns around here a lot of good young English towns as well and um, things are going well for, for them as well so look I'm in the English system as well so that's just uh, it's not something I can control but um, look I'm just enjoying playing here at Chiefs so listen, the, uh, you mentioned Europe earlier on. That's going to be a whole. That's, well, you've been in the Champions Cup before, obviously, but now you are Premiership champions. You've got Leinster, Montpellier, and Glasgow. That's a tough enough pool, and you've got Leinster back to backs. You're going to say that's an easy pool. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it's an easy pool. I can um, tell you, everyone's very, very excited over here about going to Dublin uh, around Christmas. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, I remember, Stino, when we played against you over in Exeter. I think 2014, 2015, after the game. We were playing again the following week, and I remember chatting to you and asking what you were doing that night. And we were, you were like, "We're doing the same we do every after every game, going for a few beers." I was kind of looking at you with a bit of shock on my face. And is that still the culture there? Were you lads like as a team go out for a oh, few 100%. beers? Oh, uh, yeah. I think when the fixtures came when they came out last week and whenever 
the excitement and the buzz around the place when we heard it was a quarter past three kickoff in the Aviva Stadium and I think we were getting a flight to fly home at 11 o'clock the next day there's a lot of boys excited like Christmas party sorted well. <laughs> a few Santa suits in the, in the uh, bags in the kit bags on the way over <laughs> Oh yeah, well, you know, a couple of those boys aren't still here, Kevin, fortunately, but uh, I'm sure they'll be the same sort of mindset. That's okay, you'll have to lead the tour this time. Um, right, listen, we'll let you go. Gareth, thanks very much and good luck in the season ahead. Uh, we will have fan questions and tips for the weekend's rugby on the way. The Hard Yards, brought to you by Ladbrokes, passionate about sport. You're listening to the Hard Yards Rugby Podcast on Sports Joe. Thanks for listening today. We are joined by Haley O'Connor from Ladbrooks and our producer Joe Harrington is at the table now. Hey Giants, how are you? This is the serious stuff now. Good. Good. <laughs> I'm still I'm rolling in my bed of money. <laughs> yeah, after week one, um it's Andy who leads. Yeah. Three to two. How do how do you feel about that, Pat? I was let down by the English at the weekend, uh, in the women's world cup final, wasn't it? And um That was that was a serious game. Great game of rugby, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, what about that prop getting a hat trick in a World Cup final? Unbelievable for the. That's good work. The All Blacks, yeah. Um, so yeah, Pat, you got a bit of work to do um, <laughs> this week. So the first game we're going to talk about is Monster Treviso Haley. Um, where are Ladbrokes on that? Um, basically, we like it's a non-event in terms of betting uh, in the outright. So Monster are a hundred to one on. Um, Treviso are 16 to 1 should be a complete walk in the park for Munster so punters always side with them so um, if you're going to go looking at the handicap uh, we think that Munster at the moment they're minus 30 um, and opposing Italian teams away from home is the easiest money you can make and you can back them plus 30 um, at 10 to 11 Guys what do you think? We have to do this one on the spread Yeah well, yeah, we're both we're both really interesting game up in Ulster this weekend um, the Cheetahs are coming to town like obviously Haley, I guess maybe people don't know too much about the Cheetahs at, at this stage but what do Ladbrokes have on it? Yeah so um, the Cheetahs were giving them an 8 point advantage in the handicap um, they're 11 to 4 um, obviously it's their their first match since moving from Super Rugby and uh, Ulster have a really really good record um, in their opening games um, of the Pro 12 I think they've they've uh, lost just once in the in their opener um, since 2009 and they've also got an amazing record at home in the Pro 12 so um, uh, currently Ulster are minus 8 in the handicap 2 to 7 in the outright but we actually I'd expect that uh, that handicap to or to, to be wider mm. What do you think Andy? I think it's going to be if, if the Cheetahs can just keep you know average for the first couple of weeks that'd be a good start for them I mean they're trying to manage essentially two squads here at the moment yeah with the Curry Cup and stuff yeah. like that as well yeah so um, yeah they'll just be kind of maybe looking to target teams when they get them to South Africa won't they so like I, I would say Ulster for that one as well Did going back to that Munster one I don't think they're going to win by more than 30 points are we going? Are we going for that? Or are we just going straight? You're going around? under, yeah. Yeah, I'm going under. Okay. Okay, great. Uh, and then I'm going to go for just straight out, straight out Ulster, Ulster win, Ulster win, Ulster win as well. Andy. Yeah. Interesting game as well. The Dragons versus Leinster. Bernard Jackman um, taking on his his old province. Uh, how, how are we feeling about that, lads? Do you think Jackman's going to make a big impact there? The pitch will make a big impact. Right. They've now they've got rid of that slop fest. Rodney mm. Crichton is now a hybrid pitch in. So, mm. like, I wouldn't underestimate that on, on, you know, the ability to actually coach a team as opposed to a team just surviving. That's what we were both. Remember, we were there, and Jack, well, Jackman was telling the two of us, wasn't he, that um, he wants to make their home form. He wants that to be their big thing this season, not yeah. to lose games at home. But I'm going to say their budget's a lot, a lot smaller than the other Welsh regions. Yeah, you know, never mind some of the some of the other teams in the league. Um, the, the look, Leinster will be favourites for this game, Elia. Yeah, they are. Um, I suppose it depends on what sort of side um, Leinster show up with. Um, so the odds could change dramatically once we find that out. But they're currently one to four, and they're minus nine in the handicap. And the the Dragons are are three to one, and then plus nine in the handicap at ten to eleven. But they didn't have the Dragons didn't have a good preseason, so they have no confidence boost heading into this match. Yeah, I'm gonna. Well, this like I'm gonna go Leinster anyway. But I'll say yeah, Leinster, and then I'm just gonna sprinkle in Max Deegan is gonna do something special in this game as well, which means sprinkle. nothing in the grand scheme of things. But so that, that doesn't count as another vote, like another another. Do bet. I get a bonus point? He's forced to try. Yeah. yeah, if he gets a hat trick, Pat, you got an extra point. Um, 
Connacht and Glasgow as well this weekend. Haley, where are Ladbrokes at with that? I can't just, I can't pick um, between them. They're both ten to eleven. Two new coaches. Um, Connacht have massive home advantage. Uh, so um, again, going to depend heavily on the teams that turn up. Mm. Um, money will probably come for for Glasgow, um, but then Connacht has become a really tough place to go in recent years. So um, very hard to call. Glasgow. Glasgow okay I thought that was going to be our point of difference but alright so I'll go I'm going to go Connacht now for this do you mean I, it I've changed on the do hoof. you mean it no but I'm going to just make things interesting a little bit. I'm, going to, I'm chasing you now so that's I'm going to an entertainer first yeah. first yeah. and foremost <laughs> but Pat you need to get your spoke in first because he keeps having first preference yeah. for the obvious yeah, I'm gonna go. I'm I'm bagging in the next one here. Plus, Sean Muldoon is just on the podcast as well. well so that let's, was it. Uh, let's that give him it. some support. Okay, as well. Hayley, I'm not biting on that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, let's jump around to the other games outside of the Irish provinces: Cardiff and Edinburgh. Hayley. Yeah, a um, bit boring. Two un, unperforming teams. I think Cardiff always uh, look like they should do a bit better, um, but they're uh, I think they're missing international players. So um, Cardiff are uh, nine to four on. And Edinburgh are seven to four, and the handicap is five points. So um, Cardiff minus five is ten to eleven. Let's go to Pat first. Yes, yeah. Cardiff for me. <laughs> I I will go with Richard Cockrell and Edinburgh <gasps> to do something interesting in Cardiff and the rock the league to its foundations on this opening weekend. Something like that, yeah. Uh, Ospreys and Zebra. Uh, 250 to 1 Whoa. on <laughs> <laughs> so um, total say, say very similar to the Munster match um, the Ospreys are minus 36 points um, and actually we expect that line to move again so mm. um, Zebra are 25 to 1 I'm going to go yeah I'm going to go Ospreys I'm going to say they're going to beat them by more than 36 points ok no, no I'm happy with I'm happy to take the under on that Okay. And the final game of the weekend is Scarlets versus the Kings. Uh, interesting game. Scarlets just was getting half penny back is big news, but he's not available. So, and again, I guess maybe an unknown quantity with the Kings, Haley. Yeah. Um, so again, because the Kings are made up of players on uh, most of them on on loan, um, but uh, we're going to do everything we possibly can to be on side with Scarlets. They're currently uh, twenty to one on. Um, they were looked really well against uh, Gloucester last week. Um, so the handicap at the moment, lads, is minus twenty four um, for Scarlets. Yeah, this is going to be tough. The Kings are in a different situation to the Cheetahs. Mm, you know, yeah. Th- yeah, it's not a split squad. It's a we lost. <laughs> plenty for squad uh, I'd, I'd almost look at the 24 for Scarlet's on this good alright I'll yeah, go against I you. will yeah yeah. so Pat you're going what uh, d- yeah it'll be closer than that so it'll be less nice. than 24 yeah. all you have to go is 23 That's 23 yeah <laughs> <laughs> and Andy you're going for plus 24 yeah yeah this has made this weekend very interesting yeah guys this is really interesting so I'll just run down really quickly so if you're listening and you you want to go with Pat McCarry's uh, bets for this weekend he thinks Munster are going to win uh, by less than 30 points he's going to go for an Ulster win a Leinster win a Connacht win a Cardiff win Ospreys plus 36 and Scarlet's minus 24 and Andy, Andy McGeady if you actually believe anything that that man says um, <laughs> he, um, he um, he's going with Munster over 30 or, or sorry plus 30 um, Ulster Leinster Glasgow Edinburgh Ospreys and Scarlet's minus 24 so um, if you're if you're at home, make some notes and uh, see how we get on. I'm That's not going with Ospreys. I'm going with Zebra because I'm going. I'm taking the under. Oh, sorry, you're taking the under there. There you go. Um, so yeah, best of luck, boys, and we'll uh, we'll tie them up next week. It's interesting though. Thanks for bringing some uh, <laughs> some <laughs> diversity to the to the calls here. It's really good. Yeah. So up next, we have Twitter questions for Kev and Raj. Murder she wrote is the perfect thing to watch during the day. You can watch the start, fall off for 40 minutes, come back, see the end, perfect. You know what I mean? You've missed nothing, really. Remember, Raj, Kev in the Kalina used to have to bring two TVs into the room, one for you for Cheltenham. <laughs> like every red-blooded male in the country, he'd be watching the horse racing, whereas I'd have a TV for myself for things like Murder, She Wrote and Houses Under the Hammer. Murder, she wrote, is the perfect thing to watch during the day. 
Raj and Kev are back to answer your fan questions. We put a call out during the week and these are the best ones we got in. Use the hashtag AskTHY on Twitter as Ask the Hardyards if you want a question next week. So, uh, first one is from the Black and Red. Should the Pro 14 South African teams be allowed in European competition on merit ASAP? If not, then what not needs to happen first? Kev? Um, no, I think they need to assimilate into the Pro 14 first, but I definitely can see that happening down the line. Yeah, I, I think uh, it should. It's going to make the league better as well, that the top six teams or whatever it is qualify for Europe. Because um, it's a little bit messy this year. It's a top six, but if either the top, if any of the top mm. six are South African, then mm. it's the next. So that's not amazing for the league. So I need to figure that out. Yeah, like it, it, I, th- I think so as well. I, it, again, people say, "What are the the English and the French sides going to say?" But if if this is the competition and that they finish in the top six in the competition, you don't want to devalue it by having a team that's finishing eight playing in it. So let's see how they get on this season. If they if one of the sides finishes top six, then then it becomes a real discussion. Okay. Uh, Raj, here's one for you. This is from Over the Hill Prop. Uh, ask Raj about Clinton Huppert. And now, as a coach, how do teams avoid signing quote unquote lemons during recruitment season? Talk, talk to us about Clinton Huppert, Raj. Um, what he signs for? He was signed to play for, for Munster. I think he played in the, in the sports ground. But at the same time, um, you know what I mean I don't think anyone uh, should be calling him a lemon you know what I mean he wouldn't be a lemon if he, if he got signed up in the first place he obviously didn't perform well but there could be reasons for that um, like I think it's a massive area of strength of the Irish provinces getting their um, recruitment right and they put huge I'd say time, energy and, and value on that Um over here in France so much of it is driven by the agents and the power of the agents so it's a completely different dynamic and there are um, the success rate of successful signings I would say is um, on a percentage wise would be pretty pretty low uh, obviously a completely different market a far bigger market but um, Roger, it's all about trying to get the quality when you, say, when you say it's driven by the agents what do you mean by that? Um so, for example, um, the way I think they they work it would be that um, a certain amount of players are um, obviously managed by certain groups of agents. So, um, so for example, if a back row got injured uh, in racing on a Saturday, you can be sure on Monday morning there would have been about six. CVs already on the president's desk about this this guy is a medical joker so the work is kind of done for you but it, is that quality work or is it sloppy work Who who's who's getting the best deal out of this the agent the player or the club you have to ask yourself mm. uh, sometimes you really need a quick fix but other times I think you can be so more thorough in your investigative investigative work about why you are signing him who is he what does he do everything about the person I think before the player and that's been a massive strength of the Irish provinces because um, um, you need to know that because Kevin has talked about it in terms of pressure really only comes on in, in big games and you might only see that uh, a few times a season and then other times it can get swept under the carpet because the next three games are average games against average opposition but uh, you really need, if you're paying big money you need to know what you're getting but I think um, as we can see and certainly in all sport in the last three months it's it's um, the world is becoming bananas and um, more and more um, big deals are being done so it's it's interesting space and we have to watch it very carefully to see how it's going to go Right, final question. This is from Sean Reynolds. Uh, it's directed to Raj, but I think I'll open it to the floor. Uh, who does Raj see as heir to the Irish 10 jersey since Paddy Jackson is currently out of the picture and Leinster will play Carberry at 15? JJH, J. Handron, or Tyler Blaindell? So, scenario. Here's how to make this question work. Hey, it's the Autumn Internationals. Sexton's got injured. Who's playing 10? Rod, you took this one. Question, I, <laughs> about that. Um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Uh, for me, 
you know, Joy Carberry playing 15 for Leinster. I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be too sure about that. I think, uh, you know, he played in the summer at 10 against the USA, and people were quick to fault maybe his uh, his kicking a goal game, but his all-round game is exceptionally. And as Kev says, as a player, he has an aura. I think players know when he has the ball in his hands, he's capable of doing something that other players aren't capable of doing. So, uh, in that regard, he's he can um, he can light up a team his work-ons are um, managing the game but he has all the stuff that's really hard to do in terms of uh, being able to beat the line with his eyes closed so um, JJ Hanron is injured and has yet to I think he's five or six weeks away from from playing um, yeah. Tyler doesn't qualify so, until so. January mm-hmm. um, so you're looking at does it, like the, the cupboard is yeah, I think uh, I wouldn't say that. No, I think, for example, in, you have Jack Carty and Connacht, who's I think who has had flashes of excellence, but has to kind of maintain that consistently to get uh, his foot in the Irish door. But I, I wouldn't give up on him yet. I think he has something to offer big time. And Kev, we've um, got the young man who was with us last week from Bristol. Yeah, do you think Mads could come back into the mix, Rog? I think I, th- I think so, but uh, he knows more than anyone, Kev. That he's it was his decision to leave. He has, um, you know, I mean, decided what's best for Ian Manning and what he needs to do now. And he didn't do it at all last season. Was consistently produce. So I'm sure if he does that for Bristol, he'd be really, really back in the shake up to to uh, to get back into the Irish squad. And that's I think that's the way it is. There's a, a misconception that. Um, if Ian Madigan was flying in um, in Bordeaux, he still wouldn't be picked. I would think the opposite. I think if he was flying for Bordeaux, I think uh, you'd find him in, in all the Irish squads. I just think that his form suffered, and as a result, um, the management chose not to pick him. And I don't think Ian had any complaints at that. But it's a new slate, and I think um, he has so much to to play for um, now because of the unfortunate circumstances with, um, with Paddy Jackson right so you know Ian Keatley played in the Six Nations for for um, Ireland against Italy not so long ago he's obviously the forgotten man of Irish rugby at the minute but uh, hopefully uh, with his experience he can rebound but um, I would say for me at the minute would be um, Joey Carberry I think um I wouldn't pigeonhole him as a 15 I think um, he can easily play 10 at the top level alright there we go Carberry I've heard that question answered right listen for next week use the hashtag AskTHY on Twitter if you want to ask a question we do look at them all and store them up Joe's very busy also we had a competition this week for two tickets to Connacht's Guinness Pro 14 opener with Glasgow this weekend the winner is Fiona Halligan and just to let you know the Guinness Pro 14 final is in the Aviva Stadium on May 26th tickets are available on Ticketmaster we we'll leave it there. Thanks to Raj, to Gareth, to Kev, Pat and Haley O'Connor, Joe Harrington for producing and Shane Dempsey was on sound. We'll be back next Thursday with a new podcast. Subscribe to it on iTunes, Podcast Republic, SoundCloud and every good podcast app to get us straight to your phone. This has been The Hard Yards. I'm Andy McGeady. Thank you for listening and we'll talk to you next week. The Hard Yards, brought to you by Ladbrokes. Passionate about sport. 